Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Thank you for tuning in to CRISPR Cuts. This is our holiday special episode where we are joined by our friends Cody and Ashley from the very awesome Curiosity podcast. So gear up for this mashup episode where we'll be discussing a wide range of genome engineering topics, learn more about the outside perspectives on CRISPR technology, and end with a fun trivia. I am Cody Goff, one of the hosts of the Curiosity Podcast. I'm Ashley Hamer. I'm the managing editor of Curiosity.com. I'm Minakshi Prabhune. Everyone knows me by Minu. I run the blog and the podcast at Synthego. I'm Kevin Bryant. I'm the senior marketing manager here at Synthego. A lot of people call me KB. And yeah, I'm also involved in a lot of the content here at Synthego. Um, the blog, our website, and the podcast, CRISPR Cuts. I'm curious, why should everybody be paying attention to CRISPR? Is it actually going to affect the average person in the near future? Yeah, that's really the most exciting thing about this technology. It's not really just scientists that are going to be able to take advantage of the results. It's going to be a part of everybody's everyday life, um, I think, in the near future. It's going to redefine what medicine is. It's going to change like agriculture industry. It's going to have impact that we can't even imagine now. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to hear a little bit about CRISPR. And in the coming years, it's, it's going to become, I think, part of like everyone's everyday conversations. Awesome. Can we talk about Synthego for a second? A little background on just what the company is about? Yeah, so I think we have a kind of interesting um, backstories. We are a startup biotech company here in California in Silicon Valley. Our founders are actually not from the biology space. So they're former SpaceX engineers who have brought their engineering sort of mindset and way of thinking to the biotech industry. What that means is using software and very controlled processes to try to have better control over the life sciences. So like one of the biggest issues probably in biology is trying to control all the variables when doing an, an experiment, which is quite a bit different than how engineering works, where you have very tight control over the experiments being run and you, you vary one condition. They're bringing that approach and way of thinking to the life sciences. So kind of a, a specific example is we've developed from the ground up automated robotic platforms to conduct these experiments. And every step along the way is very tightly controlled. Things like the temperature in the room, the pressure, the humidity, the speed at which liquid is being transferred from one well to another. Those things are no longer variables. They're, they're constant. And what that means ultimately is if you can better control your experiments, you can better predict what the outcomes will be. It's really... I think kind of a unique approach to life science, but it's, it's, it's a great one is the biotech industry is a bit behind the, the tech industry in some areas, and we're trying to work hard to close that gap. And in particular, what we're focusing on are new ways to synthesize modified guide RNAs for CRISPR. Guide RNAs are one of the two components of the CRISPR-Cas9 system, the other being Cas9. And these guide RNAs essentially guide Cas9 to tell it where it should be cutting DNA. And where that cutting takes place is where the genome can be edited or engineered. We've developed this completely new RNA factory to better control RNA synthesis, which means you can now edit your genome more specifically. And sort of levels on top of that is this, what we like to call full stack genome engineering approach to CRISPR, 
which means we can help scientists from the beginning of the CRISPR workflow all the way through the end. So that starts with helping them choose which guide RNAs would work best, making those guide RNAs for their editing, and helping analyze the results after the edits have been performed. And even one step beyond that is our new product family uh, called Engineered Cells, in which our scientists, which are experts in the CRISPR industry, the scientists who have been doing CRISPR edits for years, can now do the editing for researchers. It's literally taking the process from where scientists needed to do the editing themselves to now they just go on our website, two clicks, tell us what gene they want to edit, what cell line they want to use, click order, and then a few weeks later, they receive it in their lab. That's amazing. It's amazing to me how quickly we've gone from biologists being able to do this in a lab to now it's a biotech thing where you just go on a website and you decide what gene you can change. That's incredible. Yeah, I think that is really one of the most kind of exciting things about CRISPR. It was its applications to being able to edit genes was just discovered a few years ago, five, six years ago. And now it's something that scientists don't even need to learn. They just tell us what they need and then they can get it. It's kind of like similar to maybe how in the, in the past, you know, you would need to learn how to change the oil in your car, spend your weekend doing it. And whereas now there's like drive in, drive out, 30 minute oil changes, right? So that's kind of changed car maintenance industry. This We kind of view what we're doing similarly, where we're increasing access to researchers to this revolutionary technology. In the past, they would have needed to dedicate multiple people, multiple probably months or years learning how to do a technique like CRISPR, even then not have any guarantee that they'll be successful. Whereas now they kind of just focus on what they want to do with CRISPR, like what experiment they want to do after having the edited cell, for example. They order from us, and I didn't mention, but all of our products are guaranteed. If we're not able to do the edit, there's no charge or, you know, they, they get their money back. So it takes that part of learning how to do something out of the equation so scientists now can access this technology and focus on the results that they want to obtain with it. Nice. And it's not just in humans, right? CRISPR is, like you said, it's kind of like an oil change. You can kind of do your CRISPR thing yourself. But there's also examples in agriculture and healthcare and biomaterials. I mean, what exactly are you editing besides just human genes? I don't think, are you editing human genes? I'm not sure that you are. We are for sure in in cell lines oh, okay. in lab culture. No, so we're not we're not talking about humans. We're talking about a cell line derived from humans. So they're human cells, human genomes, but not humans or any animals. But yeah, you're right. It, CRISPR is not limited to humans or any species, really. I don't think there has been a species identified in which CRISPR doesn't work. And you know, like literally every species that scientists have tried to, to CRISPR, it works. Yeah, we have had some really fun conversations about, you know, all the different types of animal models where CRISPR has been used because 20 years back, mice was probably the only animal model which biologists could use for their experiments. Or even that was like a big achievement. And now the range of animals where CRISPR is being used is amazing. We recently interviewed a researcher who uses CRISPR in cattle. So as you said, it's really amazing uh, how fast this technology has progressed and what we can do with it now. So I've got to ask about a couple of the hurdles. Uh, you mentioned that you don't do it on any live humans or animals. Let's take a step back at the public perception of CRISPR. I think a lot of people are pretty pro anything that'll help maybe cure diseases or help humans just live happier, healthier lives. But there's a bit of a 
challenge, I guess, maybe in presenting it, like maybe with a lot of new medical technologies, the, the general public might think it's, uh, whether it's unnatural or it's too experimental or they're worried about the, the long-term implications. What are some of the major challenges in like presenting CRISPR to people? And it, like, what's the hardest part of it, I guess? Is it convincing more doctors to do it? Convincing the government to put more money into researching it? Is it just getting people to be kind of on your side in terms of the applications of it? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question. I think that it's a bit of everything. So first of all, CRISPR does have great potential. And as you mentioned, people are obviously excited about anything that they think would improve their lives. But at the same time, not everyone realizes at what speed the technology is actually progressing, right? So even though we have had major progress in the past few years, it does not directly mean that a potential to cure diseases directly doesn't translate to curing diseases tomorrow. So in some sense, I think there needs to be better communication with the public just to set the expectations of, you know, hype versus reality in both directions. So there are both sides where we often get a lot of responses from both directions for any of our blog posts where people are either extremely skeptical that you are going to bring about the end of this world with CRISPR or they are like extremely positive that CRISPR is just going to cure everything and make us immortal or, you know, extreme versions of positives or negatives. And I think good education about what this technology is, what its pros are, what the caveats are, what we are working through is very essential for clarifying these expectations or rather setting these expectations, which is why actually we are doing our podcast, CRISPR Cuts, or even our blog. So one of our aims is, of, of course, to educate the audience who's not as familiar with CRISPR as scientists are to basically inform them about what the current regulations are, what the state-of-the-art technology, where it is, where it has reached, what they can expect in the next few years, and so on. And then to, to the second point about regulations, that is definitely, I wouldn't say a hurdle, but definitely one major area which is currently slowing down the rate at which we might be going to clinical trials. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, considering that what we are planning to do or what eventually anyone using CRISPR is uh, would plan to do is send in these guide RNAs to specifically edit a gene. So of course, we need to be very careful that this guide RNA will only edit that gene and will not go elsewhere and will not cause any harm and will not have, you know, uh, any side effects which we hadn't thought of before. So scientists need to be extremely sure uh, when they are doing their experiments before taking anything into the clinic, before trying anything on humans that everything works as we expected to and we understand how it works and only then the regulations should and would be passed. So yeah, it, in, in one sense, it's a hurdle that will slow us down, but in another sense, it's also essential for the safety of anyone who's going to be uh, impacted by it. I think it's kind of important to not lose sight of CRISPR. Essentially, it's, it's just a technology and how it will be used will kind of be dictated by the scientists that are using it, right? Just like any, any technology can be used for sort of can be used responsibly and ethically or not. And I think it's important to, to point out that every single scientist that we've spoken with that are using CRISPR, the, the ethical and responsible use of the technology is of extremely high importance to them. So basically when, when we're, we're talking with them, it's you know kind of the first thing we, we cover is, yeah, this technology is amazing. It can really, it's really changing the way scientists can do research. And very closely following that is, but it's important that it's used responsibly. And it, it's, it's important that it's used ethically. It's important that 
we're not using the technology to create a divide between people where it's something only the, the say the wealthy can access. And I think that's a really big part of our, our mission here, where what we're really trying to do is through the RNA and the products we're, we're developing is to increase access to CRISPR, to the research community, which will ultimately increase access to the benefits of CRISPR to the general public, right? So the faster scientists can do the research, the faster the results of those studies can make their way in, into our lives. Another kind of interesting point on that, like how will the general public perceive CRISPR? Again, it really depends on how it's used. A lot of people kind of immediately think of GMOs when they hear of CRISPR and the sort of historical baggage that, that comes with that phrase. But it really depends on how it's used. For example, I think people don't like that term when it's a company using the technology to make any technology to make more money at the expense of human health or the environment. But if, if the technology is used to create you know, agricultural products more sustainably or improve their nutrition, to feed the growing population, or to like, sort of increase nutritional value of food, or uh, just to allow farmers to grow food more efficiently, I think people can get in support of that. Yeah, I was actually just going to mention the whole GMO thing is quite a hot topic around here at Curiosity sometimes. Ashley's written about GMOs here. Yeah, that's a pet topic of mine. I, I actually feel... I feel like that's a pretty optimistic view of how people see GMOs, and I, I hope it is the way they see them. My experience has more been that people don't want anyone in a lab coat to touch their food in any way, even if it is to improve the nutrition or to make things more sustainable. To a great number of the population, it seems like natural is always better. And so I, I feel like I'm afraid that as CRISPR becomes more widespread, that the public might go that way with CRISPR too. And that's just, I think, an effort that shows that maybe we have a lot of work to do on the public perception front of science in general to show that natural isn't always better and that a lot of the time human ingenuity and science can really improve our lives and won't necessarily lead to these health crises that many people are afraid of. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, to that point, I think you're right in that people are really afraid of GMO food and there are many people are actually not maybe supportive of that. But then, as you said, it also depends on what they perceive when they think of GMOs, right? Because it's not even clear if they think that a gene has been taken from another species and introduced in a crop. That's one way. Or with CRISPR, you might just actually have cut out one gene from a crop and there is no insertion of anything else from any other species. So there's literally no contamination as such, right? But maybe people don't know this difference. And then that's our job probably to inform this and make this distinction between what they might be afraid of and what is actually being done. And maybe that might help positive public perception about this topic. Yeah, that actually is a great question that you bring up. Besides transgenic mutations where you take a gene from one species and put it into another, how is CRISPR different than the GMO process? Do you know? One way that it can be different is you can specifically introduce a naturally occurring variant into a plant that already didn't have that variant. 
So, you know, over the course of, you know, tens or hundreds or thousands of years, just by cells dividing, they'll incur small point mutations over time randomly. Some of those will lead to an outcome that farmers want. In some cases, it will kill the plant, right? And then those will just go away. In most cases, there's no result at all. It's just the plant doesn't even notice there's the change. But in some small but non-zero percent probability, randomly mutations arise that are good, and right? Ultimately, that's the basis of natural selection, but it's also the basis of modern farming, right? These kind of variants have been identified and bred to be more common since we've been, you know, doing farming, right? It's just been an inefficient process. It can take tens of years for these variants to become common, and CRISPR technology is allowing these already being used processes just to be more efficient now. So ultimately, in the end, you don't have any unnatural sequences, and you get to that point faster and more efficiently. So to speak to the specifics that you talked about, and I guess to address what you said about people not knowing what is going on specifically with CRISPR research, let's say I go to Synthigo and I look at one of your CRISPR kits. What is that used for? Who's using that and what is it able to do? We have two main product families. One is the CRISPR guide RNAs that I mentioned previously. And our, sort of our main product in that family is synthetic single guide RNA that has been modified so it's more, more stable and just works better in cells. And so this kind of product is used by scientists at academic institutes or other companies from startup biotechs to large pharma companies. These are generally used by scientists who know how to use CRISPR and they want the best possible results in their experiments. The other product line we have are, are called engineered cells, which I can mention briefly. And that's where the scientists want to use CRISPR, but maybe they don't want to spend the time learning how to use it in, in terms of like the experimental methods. They don't want to spend the time optimizing their protocol. They just want the results. And in those cases, the scientists, they pick their gene, uh, pick their cell line, and then we make it for them. And there's a, a few different products under that area. We can send a pool of edited cells, which have very high editing efficiency. And one step further from that is a population of uh, clonal cells where the individual edit is verified and clonal where 100% of the cells contain the specific edit that the, the scientists wanted. And then we basically have another product, which we call advanced cells, which is any kind of edit that the scientist wants in any cell type. So that includes things like knocking in a gene. Scientists are often doing things like adding a GFP tag to the protein to find out where it goes in cells. It could be introducing a specific mutation into the gene they're studying to try to mimic what happens in a specific cancer, for example. So those are the main areas, either synthetic guide RNA for scientists that want to do CRISPR themselves or engineered cells for the other scientists who would rather have us do the CRISPR forum. I'm just trying to imagine what kind of documentation is out there for this. Do you send like a phone book sized instruction manual? Here's how you edit certain genes. Or is this, is this stuff scientists are sharing really actively? What's the online community like for this in, in the international CRISPR, I guess, society like? Yeah, so we do include protocols for how to use the products. But like I mentioned, they do often require optimization. So each scientist might be using a slightly different cell line or editing a different gene. So there's not a like one size fits all method, but we do provide protocols as guidelines. And the research community is very large and active in this space. And when scientists publish their results, 
as part of the publications, they write detailed accounts of their experimental methods. So any scientist that wants to repeat the results knows what they did. And then on the other hand, mentioning the engineered cells again, that's the nice thing there is there's really nothing to learn. Like we've done the experiment for them. So they just get the cells, thaw them and use them in their experiments. Very cool. Well, you're explaining this really clearly. So I'm glad that you're doing CRISPR cuts and hopefully a curiosity we're able to to help explain some of this stuff too. I know that you listed one of our podcast interviews as Dr. Sam Sternberg on your list of some of the top CRISPR podcast to, episodes to listen to. Thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> but uh, do you think that a lot of, of people are getting it right? Well, I hope, we, I know we're getting it right, I'm sure. But like when you read a lot of uh, CRISPR news from various sci science publications, how do you perceive that? How do you think we're doing? Like a lot of podcasts and other media are having more coverage of this space. And yours is among the best. So yeah, great work. I think you, you, did, you did get it right. That was an interesting, interesting interview for sure. I learned a lot from it, actually. While there are a lot of uh, podcasts and sort of like mass media or, you know, sort of pop culture publications that are covering it, um, there really isn't much um, in, the, in, in terms of um, resources dedicated to covering genome engineering. So that's kind of a gap we saw that we're, we're trying to fill. So, you know, in a lot of cases, um, a, a podcast like yourself, like covers this because it's, you know, so cool. And it's like one of the biggest technologies of, of our time. Um, and and we're, we're trying to take it a bit further and cover like all the different angles we can to make th this new technology uh, more accessible to everyone of all different levels. So, you know, we, on CRISPR cuts, we've we've talked to um, other journalists um, that are covering CRISPR, where we talked to the top researchers using CRISPR to um, bring it to the clinic. Um, we we've we we also talked to our own employees, where we, we can just talk with them about how our company is is um, unique and taking a different approach um, to 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 this space. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's great to see a lot of people covering CRISPR. Um, sometimes people don't always get it right. Sometimes the media jumps on a story and writes these sensational headlines without really getting into the science. And we we try to kind of tell the rest of the story. One more question. I've got to I got to get all topical just for a second. There was a big news in November. The Chinese researcher had edited the genes of embryos, I think is the simplest way to put Human it. Human embryos. Yeah. Human embryos, which the international research community wasn't necessarily so on board with. Now, we're not going to talk about the ethical implications of that or anything, because that's that's way above our pay grade, I think. But how does a story like that, because that got some big coverage. It's in the New York Times, the Atlantic. I mean, everyone's kind of talking about it. How does that hit you guys? When you woke up in the morning and you saw that headline, what was your first reaction? And, and, and where did you go from there? Did it, what, kind of, what kind of challenges did that present and, and uh, what came next? So, I mean, it's super interesting. I think like when I saw the story, I was like, what? It's like CRISPR in humans already. So the announcement, what you're talking about was uh, this researcher in China claims that he has twin girls were born who have who have had their genome edited. And these would be the first genome edited babies then using CRISPR. And so that's big. I mean, I'm just very interested to see how the scientific community is reacting to it. As you said, there has been a lot of coverage in like big publications, which is bound to be because although there has been no peer-reviewed research, so this means that this is not like a regular paper which has been accepted by other experts, 
this is just currently claims even so it's still a big story because it's still like a big thing if if they are the first human babies to have their genomes edited but yeah as i was saying this announcement came just one day before this human genome editing summit which is like the second one where international experts from all over the world convene to discuss the scientific ethical and governance issues around genome editing so it's very encouraging i think to see that the research community takes this very seriously there are investigations to see if the claims are true and secondly there are investigations or there are discussions around this topic as we speak probably right now at the summit regarding what should be done what should be the rules about this and everything and today we have a live example where someone is claiming that they have edited a human genome and we can already see that scientists are dealing with it very responsibly they are uh, very critical they are very skeptical and they are taking big steps to see how this was done and make sure that no one just goes on a editing rampage so it's in that sense a very interesting turn of events to see that you know a what if scenario example and how that's playing out and how the crispr community is reacting to it and as kevin mentioned before whenever we have interviewed any crispr experts or researchers on our podcast or for our blog all of them have always been very very specific about this part that although crispr has great potential they are very careful with their experiments and everyone is very aware of what its impact could be on the society yeah, it sounds like it's almost a relief to you to see that this is being taken seriously that that you didn't wake up to to just you know one headline in some obscure paper that said oh well this this guy edited genes in human babies but that's fine and and just kind of skimmed over it it, it sounds like you're kind of making lemons out of lemonade like it was a thing that happened no one can go back in time and change that and now at the very least whether people agree with it or not you're able to as a scientific community everyone's really starting to take the conversations maybe to the next level and start to really do even more examining and i guess hopefully some of the dialogue in the in the scientific community can even maybe hopefully begin to advance as as a result to ensure that uh, everybody's as much on the same page as possible uh, in the future yeah i mean that's that's right i think it, it's it's Good to see that scientists are taking it seriously, but it's important to, to point out, to clarify that this claim has, has not actually been verified. Generally, the process they go through is stage of peer review, where scientists submit their work as they're publishing it to other scientists who are leaders in their field, where they really look through and say, was the experiment done well? Did they do everything the right way? And this claim has not gone through that process. So at, at this point, as we stand here, we don't know if the claims are true or, or not. But it is great to see that it's being met with sort of the appropriate level of concern and responsible action. So to clarify, as of the time of this recording, it's not confirmed. Uh, but yeah, I, I know I know you've been talking about CRISPR a lot and you've done a lot of the talking. I wanted to give you an opportunity to, if you wanted to ask us about anything or, or us jump in about kind of our perspective from curiosity, you know, it would probably be a good time to get to that, I suppose. Yeah, so we, we're kind of... Um, you know, you might say like in the weeds when it comes to CRISPR, we like that's like basically all we think about every day. On your podcast, Curiosity, you're covering sort of all areas of technology or, you know, science, anything that's interesting to talk about, right? So in, including CRISPR and many other things. So yeah, we'd like to hear a little bit more about conversations you've been having with others about this and other related technologies. So I started at Curiosity about two and a half years ago. And I remember then CRISPR was this brand new thing that the kind of pop science 
media was just starting to talk about. And I had just heard about it, I believe, on Radiolab. I remember Jad Abumrad recorded a thing about how he was at this party with a bunch of biologists and they were all whispering about this crazy new technology and and he had to do an episode on it. And, and that's what it sounded like. It just sounded like this futuristic, weird, out there thing that, that didn't really seem possible and almost seemed like magic. And fast forward to now, and I think I think the general public is actually starting to kind of understand at least basically what CRISPR is and, you know, can refer to it as as something that is, you know, involves gene editing. But yeah, I definitely agree with you in the perception of the public as it being either this magical cure-all or the end of the human race as we know it. It's either the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. And I think that at least at some point, I think it's changing now, but on the other extreme, there's people that just don't think it's really happening. So I listened to a movie podcast called Show Me the Meaning from Wisecrack, and I was a guest on it because they were reviewing Gattaca. And I contacted them and told, I suggested this movie. I said, Gattaca is just an amazing movie that that I think is extremely underappreciated. My wife is a, a major film buff, and when I showed her Gattaca, it like blew her away. So that was pleasing to me, and I was really excited to share that with her. And for anyone who hasn't seen Gattaca, it's it's about this. Basically, it's it's about genetic engineering. I mean, to a, to an extreme. Of course, it's a movie. It's, it's set in a somewhat dystopian future where really everyone is is all about designing their children when they walk into the doctor's office. All right, what color eyes do you want? What color hair do you want? How tall? You know, do you want to be good at athletic? Do you want to be a musician? It takes it to the extreme level. But when I went on this podcast and they started talking about the technology and kind of how out there it was. It was actually just after I had interviewed Dr. Sam Sternberg. And I said, hang on a second, guys. This is literally a thing. Like CRISPR is here. The technology is advancing very quickly. This is in our near future. And this movie is perhaps more interesting and fascinating than ever because because it's more tangible. This isn't just some pie in the sky. It's, it's not like Star Wars where you've got everything defying gravity and using the force and everything. This is like, this is an actual technology. So I think that just getting the word out there that it is a thing is, is a thing that's important for us here at Curiosity. And for us, it also extends to other areas. You know, you mentioned we talk about lots of other things, but we've covered topics on science especially with things like space exploration, that, hey, this is here right now. Hey, we're sending a lander onto an asteroid that's going to come back with an asteroid sample, and here's what it means. And uh, I think there's a lot of attention on space exploration right now, because I think of Elon Musk and some of these big personalities getting involved in some of the, the stories they're able to tell. And NASA is also hot on podcasts. They've got like 10 podcasts or something now, which is really impressive. So, so they're all pushing that stuff. And I think that this is part of the challenge with any science or psychology or research is getting people to not only understand the expectations and, and be like, no, it's not the end of the world and no, it's not going to save everyone, but also just the kind of the acknowledgement that it's there and, and letting them know that it exists and people are working on it. And yeah, we're going to keep on sciencing. <laughs> and I've, I've also heard, because you touched on the idea that we as a society don't want this to be made into something where only the rich have access to it and it widens the... Inequality difference. Gap. Yeah, it widens the inequality gap between the rich and the poor. 
But one really interesting idea I've heard is that that's actually kind of how every scientific breakthrough has been, at first anyway. You know, when the automobile was invented, only the rich could have a car. And then over time, it got cheaper and cheaper until pretty much everyone has a car. And it seems like it could be that CRISPR could do the same thing, that it w- it'll start out for something that only the very, very wealthy can use, which is going to be rough, I feel like. But over time, we'll get better at it. It'll get faster and cheaper. And maybe there will be a day if we do start editing human embryos in a way that's safe and ethical, maybe there will be a day where everyone can afford to have a baby that's not born with a genetic disease, say. The hope is that hopefully if enough researchers have access to CRISPR, which is one of the major aims of Syntego to have uh, to make sure that all researchers have access to CRISPR tools, that eventually this will speed up the process of technology. It will reduce the cost of manufacturing if we streamline everything. And then eventually that might actually lead in a democratized medicines or therapies. And that hopefully, or rather the hope is that that should not then be in a far off future because you're right, eventually the costs will go down and it's all about how we define eventually. So the aim is basically to reduce the time in making it accessible. That's what most researchers are actually hoping for. And yeah, let's hope that's soon enough when we can actually use CRISPR for in medicine for everyone. That's really good to hear that that's the hope on that side too. We like to wrap up our episode with a little curiosity challenge and ask you about something that we learned about on curiosity.com. And by we, I mean Ashley, so I'll let her take this away. (laughs) All right. So here's your question. You know, we've been talking about editing genes in a lab, but in 2017, researchers discovered that a certain class of animal is actually able to edit their own genes. Do you know what animal that is? Hmm. No, I don't. Kevin, do you? No, I don't. (laughs) Can I take a guess? Just any guess. Can we ask for a clue? <laughs> uh, sure. It is a water-dwelling creature. Is it tardigrades? Oh, that's a really good guess. <laughs> they would. They? I would just would. guess <laughs> any any question, the answer should be tardigrades. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, it is actually cephalopods. So octopus, squids, and cuttlefish. They can edit their own genes. That's so amazing. Thank you for sharing that. We didn't know that. You're welcome. Yeah. I thought that was pretty wild. Cuttlefish are amazing. Everything I learned about them. They're super smart. They can solve puzzles. They have tons of personality. And they're probably close to as smart as humans. Maybe even smarter. I don't know. They're one of my favorites for sure. This came from research that was reported in the journal Cell in 2017 that that they could uh, do RNA editing. And you can read a full article about that on curiosity.com, which we'll send you the link to. And then I believe you brought us a question to stump us with. Okay, we have spoken a lot about CRISPR, so this is not at all related to the CRISPR realm, but I hope you have watched Game of Thrones. Oh yes. Definitely. Great. So can you name all the Stark wolf pups? Oh, the Stark wolf pups. Oh no, okay. (laughs) I know two. There's what? there's Lady, there's Lady Nymeria or Nymeria. I can hardly name the characters. Oh no, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, all right, I'll keep going. There's Ghost is John Stark's Lady Nymeria or Nim, I guess is is the nickname. Ghost, 
Oh, what was Rob's? Graven. No way. I forgot he even... Ex- oh, right. Wow, he was around... F- oh, wow. <laughs> well, so many characters get killed so yeah. early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, who cares? <laughs> That's a fantastic curiosity challenge question. Cody, you got infinitely more than I did. I got um, a nice round number of zero <laughs> when Minu asked me the question. I have another a separate question um, for you guys, also completely unrelated to CRISPR or even science in any way. Okay. So I grew up sort of listening in the like sort of late 80s, early 90s, like hip hop music scene. So like think back to Yo! MTV raps. I love that sort of era of music. One of my favorite musicians or recording artists is Dr. Dre. Probably made most famous for his album, The Chronic, with Snoop Dogg, later for signing Eminem, 50 Cent, others. A legend, right? Before he reached this level of fame, he was a member of a rap group. Do you know the first rap group Dr. Dre was in professionally? Was it NWA? Ashley, do you have an answer? No is the answer to that. (laughs) Uh, oh, oh I don't I don't have an answer. I loved the chronic in high school. That was a great <laughs> album. But um, he, he was he was obviously in NWA. But before that, he had a whole nother career a rap group called the World Class Wrecking Crew. Oh, no way. Really? Yep. And kind of famous, infamous, maybe as being named Dr. Dre, he kind of dressed like a doctor as his stage persona. <laughs> um, with like complete with a mask and, and scrubs. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. It was definitely, uh, fitting for that era. Nice. Those are really fantastic questions. I feel like I, we should throw one more quick one at you. It's totally not science related if, if that's okay. And curiosity daily listeners will know the answer to this because we mentioned it on a kind of recent episode, but I'm wondering if you two know it. There's one person who has guest starred in an episode of Star Trek as himself Throughout all the series history, original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, all that. He was in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Can you name the character that played himself? And we can give you a hint. Yeah. Please, please do. <laughs> yes. He is a scientist. My guess would be Stephen Hawking. That's right. Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He was in the season finale of an episode. Commander Data created a holodeck program of holograms of Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, and Stephen Hawking. And they're playing poker. And Stephen Hawking wins the hand of poker <laughs> by calling uh, or by getting, I think, Einstein to call his bluff. So, yeah, <laughs> super random fact. Interesting, like you, that is related to CRISPR. Like there's maybe like this sort of like seven degrees of Stephen Hawking. Like one of his sort of last sort of like commentaries was his hope that CRISPR and genome engineering would be used to sort of promote equality rather than to make the rich get richer, kind of. He was outspoken in that area. I guess that does kind of bring us full circle now, huh? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, perfect way to, to end it out. Yeah, unless, like, you have any final thoughts on what's next for CRISPR or what you're looking forward to the most or what gets you excited or anything like that? Yeah, I think to me it's just the immense potential. I mean, literally every area of, of science and, you know, specifically biology will 
be impacted by CRISPR. I mean, they already have. So I guess I'm most excited to see about all the ways it will impact our lives that we haven't even thought about yet. Like the ways with with these new technologies like CRISPR, the ways research can be taken to new places. And I think that's really what's the most exciting. There's a lot of problems facing our world. And I think science will be the solution for most of them. And I think technologies like CRISPR will be will, will be key in solving these problems. Cool. We're excited too. I'm also excited about the development and technology that help people listen to podcasts on all different devices so they can check out CRISPR cuts and follow all that you're doing and, and help get better informed on what's actually happening in the CRISPR world because it's important to pay attention to. This is going to have some big implications. And also download the Curiosity app for Android and iOS. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Kevin and Minu, for joining us. This was a really fantastic conversation. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo. Produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.